Hey, one more thing before you go. Just a quick note. After 210 episodes, eight operations, and a battle to regain my health, the one thing that I've learned is the value of family and the time that we need to spend together is precious as life can change in an instant. For that reason, over the next couple of weeks, I will be taking a break to spend some time with my family, refresh my soul, concentrate on my health so that I can come back with a new line of fantastic guests. Great conversation to inspire, motivate, and educate you. During this time period, we've selected some of our favorite episodes from this podcast you may have already heard. Or if you're new to this podcast, you're going to love these conversations either way. They will touch your soul. So please enjoy these favorite and popular treasures that we've picked for you. And I will see you starting September 14th with brand new episodes, brilliant guests, and more of what you love about One More Thing before you go. It is Way Back Wednesday. We bring you episode 99, The Thing About My Grandfather Is My Spirit Guide. It's an exceptional journey into finding out that you have unique ability to talk to people on the other side, and your grandfather is the one to introduce you to it from the other side. Please enjoy. In this episode, we share the journey of a woman who lost the meaning about the entire concept of who she was. She went from running on autopilot until something shifted, realizing she couldn't go back to the regular life anymore. With the help from a spiritual level and a unique guide, she changed her life, and you'll learn how you too can change yours. My guest in this episode is Dylan King. She's a spiritual coach, a board-certified NLP practitioner, a hypnotherapist. In her practice, she guides women struggling with codependency, anxiety, to find serenity and spiritual awakening. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. You know, it, you have a, a unique and amazing journey, and um, I can't wait to get to the good parts. Um, but let's start from the beginning. So where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in the... Houston, Texas area to start with. Um, we moved when I was pretty young to the Beaumont, Texas area. So if you know Southeast Texas uh, at all, shout out to Nederland, uh, my small town homies. Uh, nobody ever knows where I'm talking about and they always mispronounce the town. So if that is your story too, I feel you on that. Um, those small towns, we're so unseen and we always got to name those bigger towns that are real close to us. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. I do know, believe it or not, I do know somebody from Beaumont, Texas. Um, yeah, she said <laughs> it was a small town and she actually, one of the police department I used to work for back in Colorado. Um, she was married to a guy that uh, they both had moved to Colorado, went to work for the police department and um, we all went out to dinner to kind of get to know each other and um, she mentioned she was from Beaumont, Texas. Pretty cool. Beaumont uh, is a small town, and it's the big town next to where I grew up. Well, you know, it's, it is, it is, I've only been to Texas three times. The times I was in, I got relatives down in Texas, but unfortunately I have not, I should feel guilty about this, really. I talked to them on the telephone, so let me put that out to the universe, but I haven't had the chance to visit them down there. They live in Plano, Texas in Fort Worth mm -hmm. area, both of those mm -hmm. areas. Yeah. But I've driven through Texas. It is a very, very, very big state. <laughs> well, you were born in Texas, but and we'll get into this, but your heart's in Savannah, Georgia. I have a 
huge, huge piece of my heart in Savannah for many, many reasons. Well, let's start there. What What was your family like? What was my mm-hmm. family like? Um, well, my uh, parents got divorced when I was about 10. Growing up was a bit odd because although my parents were not together, there were a lot of times in my life where we did all live together um, just for financial reasons. I have a younger brother who's about three and a half years younger than me. And we ended up uh, being on food stamps a lot of the time and staying all of us in those low income apartments that were not really the best places to be. But you know, you do what you can. And when I was uh, 14, my mom ended up leaving Um, So my brother went to stay with my dad and I ended up moving in with my grandmother, which is just one of the, one of the, she really did. She had a huge, huge hand in that. She really fought for me in a lot of ways. She fought to make sure that my brother and I had the resources that we needed, that we were being taken care of, even though my brother didn't live with her. Um, I've grown up with epilepsy. I've had epilepsy for over 20 years now. And she fought to make sure that I got the treatment and that my seizures were under control where up until that point, nobody really took care of it. Um, She did a lot, a lot for me um, and really, really made sure that I was put on a path to be successful. Now, I know you said you had a brother that was like three years younger and you went to live with your dad. Did you go stay in contact with your brother? Absolutely. Um, my dad came and uh, picked me up and took me to school every morning. Um, so that was very much our routine. Um, so even though I didn't live with my brother, um, he was never like out of my life. Um, I feel like my family's kind of strange because um, my while my nuclear family is very small, there's really just me and my mom and my dad and my brother. Um, I feel like we do care very much for each other, even though we're not very um, connected. And there's a lot of you know, oh, we didn't actually really grow up together here. We don't necessarily, we're not the family who's like, oh, let me hug you. And oh, hey, well, let me make sure I tell you I love you. Like, we're just not those people. Um, But we do care a lot for each other. And we make sure like, hey, are you are you okay? Is everything going good? Do you need anything? And very much show our love and care for each other in, in different Different ways. ways. And I understand that a lot of times when you grow up in an environment like that, divorced parents, sometimes I'm, I'm a a child of divorced parents and um, we kind of have the same kind of an atmosphere. So I understand. I understand that. Um, So you, you, you spend, you grew up in Texas, right? Did you go to university there? I um, got an Associates of Arts degree in drama from Lamar State College, Port Arthur. I actually got married right out of high school to a man who was nine years older than me. So in a lot of ways, there were many, many good things that came about from my first marriage. There are also a lot of things that looking back may have not been the wisest decision 
I'm very grateful that there were no children involved in that relationship because I think that that would have been a, a lot more complicated and a lot more problematic. Um, but being able to learn a lot from that relationship, being able to um, have an extra support to get out and go to school. Honestly, school is less expensive if you're married. So they give you more scholarships for being married. So it just helps. <laughs> this works. <laughs> it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah, in fact, I probably should have married my daughters off sooner and the college would have been cheaper. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a way to do it. Uh, I don't know. I, lo I love my daughters. Let me put that out there to the universe. I love my daughters, and I'm very happy that they graduated. And I'm a great father. Okay, but and not everything's about money. But you know, if you can do it cheaper, that's always a positive thing. Yeah. So I got married right out of high school. Um, I took a year off. I got my associate's degree. And then um, my original plan had always very much revolved around my now ex-husband uh, to go and then teach theater so that I could kind of be this more small town person. And once I got closer and closer to completing my associate's degree, I realized I can't do that. Um, that's, that is very scary to me to go into this small town mindset. Um, and I had always wanted to go to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, it was just the school of my dreams. You know, we all have those those big dreams. My grandmother grew up in Savannah, so it was very, very personal to me. Um, and so I said, I have to apply here to finish my bachelor's. I cannot go to another community college there's nothing wrong with community college. I want to make that very clear. This was just my path. Um, I really, really, really wanted to go. It was very important for me to break out of where I was born and or where I was raised. I wasn't born there and and move um, into a very different environment. So we did end up going to Savannah and I went to SCAD. Um, to get my bachelor's in performing arts. And what is SCAD? The Savannah College of Art and Design? Yes. When you got done with college, did you start, I know you started a career with a nonprofit theater company. Was that right after college? So while I was, while I was going to school, I, um, I was always always working full time. <laughs> um, most of the time, I worked for um, for Starbucks. Um, every once in a while, I worked uh, like seasonal jobs, um, like as a hostess or uh, Christmas jobs. And then I had um, an audition for a nonprofit theater. I think maybe my second second year um, for. Um, for Savannah Stage Company, and they had lots of different ways to be involved. The first way that I started working for them was is in their improv troupe, um, because with my school and work schedule, uh, it was just too busy for me to do a whole lot more than that. So I just started being a part of their improv troupe, and 
Savannah Stage Company is is really wonderful because their mission is to bring theater um, to as many people as possible, to make it as accessible as possible to people. They have a pay what you can policy. So um, with especially with the large amount of homeless people in Savannah, if you know, if a guy comes and he's like, I have a quarter in my pocket, then your ticket is a quarter that night because it's way more important. It's way more important to them to um, to have people have access to theater than it is to make money. Um, but they still pay. Yeah, I love it, and they still they still pay all their actors, um, everybody who's involved. Um, so it's just a really remarkable group to have gotten to be a part of. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's amazing. My, my kids have grown up in the entertainment industry from dance from the age of three and five, uh, three and five because I have two daughters, and all the way up through high school and then beyond. My oldest, my oldest daughter and her husband both work in the entertainment industry in California. Um, started in Vegas and then went to California, and my youngest one became a graphic designer. So we. We appreciate it. Um, part of my background is uh, when I left the police department, and while I was still working in the police department, uh, I have a directed community theater, and I acted in community theater, and I appreciate community theater very much. So from that perspective, I think that that's an outstanding opportunity from those individuals, and a shout-out to them for allowing that to happen because people forget the value of theater and the value of community within that theater and being able to laugh and cry together and, you know, cheer and be happy and be sad all together in one place. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that story. I'm going to reach out to them and tell them thanks. Yeah, they're, they're a beautiful company. I really love them. And I was really, uh, really lucky that after, after I did finish school, there were so many things that happened. Um, I graduated um, right before my last quarter of school. My husband pulled me aside at my friend David's birthday party and said I want a divorce. Wow. So that very much changed the tone of the evening. Um, so my ex-husband decided he wanted to uh, wanted a divorce. I finished school. Um I applied for a promotion at my job because I had more time. Um, and uh, I started working, doing more with Savannah Stage Company, um, doing stage management, um, doing more shows, different things like that, in addition to their improv troupe. So there was a lot of stuff happening at that point in time. You, know, you, you gained a, uh, a unique nickname, right? I didn't give it away in the opening because I wanted you to. Say it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so uh, Savannah Stage Company loves to uh, give their um, their members, especially of the improv troupe, stage names. Um, so my stage name has always been Dylan D-Money King. Uh, well, at the time, because I'm married, remarried now, uh, was good. But D-Money um, is the name it's spelled D dollar sign. Um, and that is such a special name, um, to me, it holds so much, um, sentimental value and so much, um, positivity and so many memories, um, to remember 
just walking into a room and being greeted with, it's D money. That's really cool. (laughs) Um, Like you can, you can do anything. And what was the purpose for, for that nickname D money? Was there significance to D money? I think it was just one of those things, just like in improv, it just came up on the spot where Jamie, the artistic director, used to host all our improv shows. And she was like, I've got to introduce this new girl. This is the first time she's going on stage for us. I don't really have a good name for her right now. I'm just going to make it up. (laughs) This is Dylan D. Money. And I was like, now (laughs) it is. is That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, so after that, um, at what point in your life did you realize there was a void? W- was it shortly after that and after you got told you, wanted, you were going to get a divorce? I think um, I think the divorce was a really strange time in my life. Um, there were a lot of things, you know, so many things that changed in such a short amount of time. And I definitely look at that area of my life as like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon um, because I had been so boxed in like um, by my ex-husband had a lot of rules. He was like, I don't really like tattoos and piercings. I don't like it when you do this. I don't like it when you do that. So it was very much like for the first time I get to just make decisions just for me. I'm just going to make decisions for me. Um, I think some of those decisions I made just to not have to think so much, um, like deciding, well, I'm just going to apply for a promotion because if I don't apply for a promotion, I have to quit and I don't want to quit because then I have to look for another job and that's too scary. So I'm, I'm just going to apply for a promotion and work even harder at this job that I don't really like, but it'll be easier. So I'm just going to do that. Um, and different things like that. Um, I think overall it was a really good time because I learned a lot and, and grew and met so many people and did so many different Mm -hmm. things. Um, could I have done things differently? Sure. But we've all, we've all been through that. I mean, mean, it's not, we all, we all make mistakes. We all look back. That's the old adage. If you could go back in time, what would you change? And you kind of go, yeah. well, it's kind of a double, double-edged sword because there's some things I'd change, but because of what happened to me, I'm this person today. Yeah. And who knows if I would not be this person today if I went back and tried to change it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think about that um, you know, with getting married in the first place, with the things that I decided to do during my divorce, you know, all of those things. Um, so in the course of, um, exploring everything, I ended up meeting my now husband on Tinder, which is just a strange place to meet somebody to end up in a long-term relationship with. Um, he, um, he ended up deciding he wanted to go to school, back to school to be a mechanic. Um, and the school he wanted to go to was funnily enough in Houston. 
And he said, will you go with me? Um, And I said, you know, I will, because my grandmother at the time, her health was getting really bad. It was pretty clear that she was going to pass away at any moment. And it was very expensive to fly. And it was very hard to just fly at a moment's notice. It was much easier to just be there um, than it was to to always be on that edge. Um, So she was getting really ill, you know, different things like that. So I said, okay, yeah, I will. I'll do that. Um, And we'll just go from there. So we moved. um, We got married. We had kids. um, And I kept, I got promoted again. I started working as a store manager. And I think slowly things started to feel a little bit off and it it was really hard to pin down because i really 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 wanted to present a a facade of i have this together everything is fine i i'm i'm good at my job and i love it here nothing's wrong I don't know what you're talking about. And so it was re- so deeply ingrained in me that I I was really having a hard time even thinking about it to myself where I just didn't want to to even think about it um or acknowledge it in any way. It was so difficult. Um my husband was going through his own things um, and his own problems. And um, we had had our first daughter. And that is when my grandmother finally did pass. And that was just awful. <laughs> you think that you can be prepared for something because you know that it's coming and you are just wrong. I agree. Is it those, that's one of those things that's expected, but not expected. You know, it's coming, but when yeah. it comes, you still get devastated. You still get floored. You still get, what do I do now? Yeah. And for me, I was so frustrated and so upset because backpedaling some when I was a lot younger and my grandfather had passed, everything was so simple. Um, The transition for me was just very easy. He had been sick for a long time and, and I was there when he died and I was just like, okay, And I can remember just holding my grandmother's hand and saying, are you okay? Are you okay with this? And, and just being there and being okay. And him, um, I can remember seeing him, his spirit at his funeral and grabbing my grandmother's hand in the pews of the church and saying, Hey, I just want you to know that he's here and her just, sobbing and it was never strange to me or upsetting to me it just 
it just was. This is how is that it when is. you first noticed or first realized that you had a connection maybe with the other side? I think so. I think if I really go back further, when I first had a a diagnosis of epilepsy, I asked my dad a lot, do you think that this these seizures have something to do with God? Did God, what does this mean? And he could never give me an answer. So he didn't really want to talk to me about it. <laughs> um, but definitely when my grandfather passed, that was the first time that I um, saw somebody and um, had not necessarily like a dialogue, but a very... Um, like the way that somebody makes you feel an essence of this is you need to be reassured. Right. So here is an essence of reassurance. Oh, um, not in like, I'm reassuring you, Dylan. These are my words. Just, just a knowing. Now, when you saw him, um, obviously I like to let me go that a little more in depth with that. When you saw him, over there, did you actually see a physical manifestation of him, or so you you recognize it as your grandfather? Yes, um, wearing a suit and tie. And he recognized you looking at him. Um, I think that in that particular moment at his funeral, there were a lot of people that he was probably there right. for. Later on in my life, I would see him at other churches and know that he was there just for me, just to connect with me. How, um, how old were you? Can I ask? How old were you? These times were mostly between the ages of 14 and 16. So actually, yeah, pretty young still. Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't... Um, I didn't really hear from him for a very long time until I started to have dreams about him. Um, and in, in the dreams, he does um, say really specific things. Um, so when I was right after I was uh, going to get divorced, I decided I need to go back to church. My ex-husband was Jewish, so he would never go to church with me. Um, so I said, I need to go back to church. And the night before I was going to go to a church on my own for the first time, I dreamt that my entire family was in my grandmother's kitchen, including my grandfather, and they all started to leave. And I grabbed my grandfather's hand. I said, come on, Papa, let's go. And he said, Dylan, I can't go with you. I'm dead. And some people probably take that in like a really sad, like angry sense. But for me, it meant like I had spent so long putting all of my weight, all of my spiritual weight on, please tell me what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand. I ha I can only go to church if my grandparents are there. I can't explore this on my own. And he was saying, you, you can do this. You, you know, I'm here, but I'm, I don't need to go with you. 
you're old enough to do this and you're strong enough to do this. You, you can go. And that was very, um, changing for me, for me to say, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I, I can go. I don't have to wait for somebody to hold my hand. I can go. And there were several things, several dreams like that over the years that just seemed to be little messages where he said um, things like there was a, a dream I had where we were rushing around trying to get ready for um, my cousin's wedding. And he said, you know, I really am glad that I got to be here for all of this. Wow. And so there's just those little things, those little things like that. So I would really encourage people that when you have those messages that come through to not discount them because the people that you love are really reaching out for you and they're really trying to right. hold you. That's really interesting. Do you think we all have the ability to kind of open that communication, open that opportunity? I a hundred percent think we do. And I, I see it in my clients and I've also seen it in myself. And this is kind of getting back to when my grandmother passed because I had always had this open connection with my grandfather, excuse me, I fully, fully expected the same thing to immediately happen with my grandmother. So when it didn't, I was mad. I was mad and frustrated and sad and so, so upset that not only was she gone from me physically, but they weren't even good. She wasn't even going to come visit me in the spirit world too. She wasn't even going to give me a dream. Mm -hmm. Like what, what is this really? Why can't you do this for me? I need you. I, I was so upset and so hurt that she just, she didn't do it for were, me. Were your grandparents really religious? Were they like Catholic or Protestant or something that, that kind of really, in most religions, Catholic, Protestant, I mean, I, I've, I've visited a lot of religions. You know, they teach you not to, that when you die, that you either go heaven or you go to hell. There's not this in-between area where people, that you can communicate and that you can talk with people. So did you grow up in that environment? So maybe your grandmother... Maybe it was holding her back. We grew up um, Episcopalian. Um, my grandparents went to the same Episcopal church for the entire time that I can remember. Um, they, um, my grandmother especially was always so open-minded and so understanding of anything that I wanted to explore. Um, and so happy to listen to me. And I find that a lot of times still in the Episcopal church that I do attend, where there are a lot of, um, what you would expect to be very conservative type people who will listen to what you, uh, have to say about things that, um, maybe more conservative people would, con would deem, devilish or bad or against God, things like that, um, where people are just more acceptable, uh, more accepting and willing to at least listen, even if they don't necessarily agree personally. Yeah, that's a positive thing. So how does your grief play in? Um, I think you had mentioned 
in your notes to me that um, that you feel maybe your grief kind of prevented. Yeah, I absolutely do, and I um, I came across that actually listening to another podcast where a woman was talking about how um, she couldn't open herself up and didn't get any messages until years and years after her husband had passed because she took so long to process her grief. And I think after listening to that, I realized I, I hadn't really processed a lot of it. I was still stuffing a lot of stuff down and wasn't letting myself move through it. And so instead of when I started to work on, instead of being so angry and mad about what wasn't happening and just um, being open and allowing myself to feel the things that I never let myself feel um, when she did pass, um, because those emotions don't just go away. They still hang out and just continue to move, move through them. She started to, also come. So she comes in a different manner, I guess. Um, so uh, the first time that she came, I ha- was having a dream uh, where there was a big party at my grandparents' house. And I kept looking for my grandfather. And people say, oh, well, he just went out to breakfast. Don't worry about it. He'll be back. And I said, no, no, no. He's been out for a long time. He should be back by now. Are you sure you haven't seen him? And they said, no, it's just out. No, he'll be back. And so I kept uh, looking for him and I went into the back bedroom and he was sitting there with my grandmother at the sewing machine and she didn't talk. She just laughed. She's just smiling and laughing. Just her, her uh, warm, comforting, loving, joyful self. Good. And it was a really beautiful moment to just see them right. together. That's a positive thing. That's very positive. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I took a sip of tea and it went down the wrong hole. I was holding that. Sorry. <laughs> <coughs> Darn it. So how has this spiritual aspect of life and death kind of affected you? Especially after hearing those stories. I, I would say that it has allowed me to Just um, live life a little bit more receptively with a little bit more surrender rather than a little, rather than so much I have to fight for every single thing that I have and I have to make things happen this exact way and if they don't happen that way then everything is terrible um but life is so 
surprising. Um, and things work out in ways that we can never even imagine. Is that kind of this, all of these experiences actually? I mean, I find it very unique when people are able to do what you do, uh, be able to see like what you see and what and hear what you're able to hear, including the dreams that you're being contacted through. Because it, to me, that's a gift, and, and it's a gift that that I, I'm sure that we all have the opportunity to open that door. Some of us don't know how to open that door. Um, you know, in, in revisit our parents or our grandparents or a loved one that has passed on for whatever particular reason. Um, do you feel that we all have that opportunity to to kind of approach that from a spiritual level? I absolutely do. Um, I don't think that it's just I'm super special. <laughs> um, I... I think for, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I have been more open to it. I've definitely closed myself off to it for several years um, where it was very hard for me to be open. Um, So I know that it is difficult to open up. Um, I think we block a lot out. Um based on pain and the fear to be vulnerable with ourselves and with other people and with the divine where we are just, we're just really afraid. And so we try to separate ourselves even further, either by um, justifying the things that we do see um, by saying, Oh no, it's not really, it's not really that it doesn't really mean anything um, and different things that we do like that so that the messages don't come through. Um, do you think, and, and obviously this is just an open discussion. So do you, and I've asked other people the same thing. Do you think organized religion has a way of suppressing those, those opportunities? For me, um, I think it's very, very personal because for me, I have so much, um, there's so much visceral response and so much comfort in like the routine of, um, an Episcopal church service. Um, it is, it's so comforting to me it very much reminds me of my grandparents. Um, so it, that's, it's like coming home. You can co- you can choose to um, coexist within that environment and still be able to reach out along that spiritual level. Yeah, I think it very much, and I think it depends also on the people there. I don't find that, um, I don't, I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like organized religion is a bad thing inherently in and of itself. I feel like there are people who utilize it in the incorrect way. And that's a very different, um, different thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of conversations on this podcast with different people from different religions and different spiritual perspectives. I grew up Catholic. 
I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I believe in God. I believe in the universe. I believe in, you know, heaven. I believe in hell. And I also believe in there's the veil and in the in-between where you still have the opportunity to reach out and connect with those that you've lost. I believe that, um, that there are uh, individuals that have the and when I say this, and I, I'm I'm saying this now because I've talked to mediums that I get into an interview, and right in the beginning of the interview, it's like, no, we're not doing this, because I knew that they were out for more than just really bringing somebody closure or really understanding that they do have a gift to be able to communicate with somebody from the other side. It it is a gift for those individuals that can. Uh, I agree with you, and I'm glad that you really opened up your your mind and your heart, and that you pursued that because you became a spiritual coach, correct? Because of all this, yes. So help help me understand what a spiritual coach is, and and kind of how you implement that in other people's lives as well as your own. Yeah. So I think. Um, I think a lot of people would maybe sum it up more similarly to a life coach. The reason that I uh, come back to a spiritual coach is because at the core of my practice is really that connection, that ability to connect to the divine, because I really feel like no matter what your understanding of God is, however you want to relate to it, being able to have that connection is what grounds us. That's what enables us to release any trauma that we're holding on to. It enables us to center in our day to day. Um, and without that, that, um, that serenity and that security of your higher power, whatever it is, whatever that means to you, it is increasingly difficult to function in the world. Now, did you, in, within your coaching and in the spiritual perspective of that, do you help other people kind of connect with that world? That has definitely happened. I have a client right now who um, uh, her mother had passed um, a few years ago. Um, and she was that was a big catalyst for, as it often is, um, that loss was a big catalyst for her wanting to make a lot of changes in her life. And as we started to delve into um, releasing a lot of the heavier things that were laying on her heart, she was starting to have meditations where her mom was coming through and talking to her. And she was like, this is really weird. I don't understand what my mom is saying. And then a few days later, somebody else in her life would come through in, in the physical world and say, hey, blah, blah, blah happened. And she'd be like, that is so weird because my mom said this and that is connecting here and making all of these little um, connections. Like her mom was like, Hey, um, I'm giving you, um, information about these people who need additional love and support. Um, and it was, it's been really, um, 
It's been really incredible to be able to not only help her remove the heaviness that was causing her a lot of struggle in her day to day, but allowing her to then form that relationship again with her mom that she really wanted and guide her through um, the fear that comes with, am I crazy? Did this really just happen? Is this real? Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, the experiences that I've had and the ones my wife, my, my wife actually has had more than I have. Um, she used to wake up in the middle of the night hearing voices and, and, you know, mm-hmm. not like the crazy voices, you know, in, in the head, but the voices and people talking to her saying, Hey, and she's, she's woken up at three o'clock in the morning before. And, and, and in the process of just opening her eyes, has seen several people standing in the room, in the bedroom. And that at first it scared her. Mm-hmm. So when it scared her, she kind of went, I don't know what that was. And it happened two or three times. And finally, she just kind of shut it down because she was afraid. It's like, I I don't know what this is. And um, I don't know if I want to know what this is. But when she reflected back on it now, she went, I think people were reaching out to me. And I, I should have listened. According to a certain thing. But she didn't understand how to listen. Do, do you do you help yeah. people to understand how to listen? I think for that, it's very much about tapping into your intuition um, and getting comfortable listening. Um, so to a certain extent, um, to a certain extent, I'm able to guide people um, in utilizing tools to to listen um but for the most part it it's so much of your own interpretation and your own intuition and knowing in your own heart um and a lot of a lot of being able to do that comes from um being able to trust yourself right. Now I I know that you um you are a life coach and you help women in particular, correct? And yes. Uh, of those, um, tell me about how you got involved in that. And and uh, look from a, I understand codependency from several different perspectives. I know you do obviously because you, you dealt with individuals in your lifetime. You know, one one of your husbands had a problem with alcohol. I grew up with alcoholic parents, so I understand codependency. I, I was a domestic violence task force officer, so I, I understand codependency and how it affects people's lives. So you help people with that, right? Yes. Um, so what I have, what I found on my own personal journey, um, I used to really view uh, codependency and people pleasing and um, things kind of all in that bubble as people who were very weak. Um, And so I never, ever, ever thought of myself as that. 
I was like, well, I could never be a people pleaser because I am so strong. Look at all these things that I've gotten through. I am, um, I am so strong and great and awesome. I could never in a million years be a people pleaser. That's crazy. And, um, when I got, when I resigned from my job and got some distance and some space, I realized that I had spent a large portion of my life really trying to put on this, this facade, this jumping through hoops, trying to make sure that people liked me. I, I referenced this episode of Parks and Rec where Leslie Nope is uh, running for office um, and she sees this like, um, you know, Leslie Nope is really smart and uh, does is like funny. She has so many things you you should like about her and you she's great for office. She's a great candidate. But she they do like a test thing, uh, a, te- a survey and people are giving feedback and she sees it. And this guy in the off in the in the survey says, I don't like her. And she's like, excuse me. He doesn't like me. And she spends the entire episode focusing on this one guy buying him beers, telling jokes, changing her entire personality to make him like her. And at the end of the episode, he doesn't. He still doesn't. He calls her a bitch. (laughs) It doesn't change anything. And when I see that episode, I... I see myself because I know like, yes, I'm strong and determined and, oh, yes, I want to do all these great things. But I have definitely been that person who was like, why don't you like me? I can't, I can't deal with this if you don't like me. This pains me to the point where I know that I have pushed people away and made people crazy um, because of how much I tried to force them to like me. And that just doesn't work, right? Just like um, in manifestation in the universe, the more that you try to force things to happen, it just doesn't work. And that has been a big learning experience of mine. And I see it um, in my clients when they are trying to figure out why am I unhappy? Why do I have these problems with my uh, marriage? Why, why do my children make me upset? Why am I frustrated with my children? Why, um, why am I so disappointed in myself? And it's because of that that codependency need, that people pleasing need, that, that trauma response to need to have control over everything, including how people view you so that nobody has to see inside the things that you don't like about yourself. Yeah, that's powerful, actually. Um, how do the tools, I mean, I know that you, you are, let me try that in English because my mind's thinking of all these different things when you brought all that up. 
you do you use clinical hypnotherapy in your in your in your sessions in your um your coaching so sometimes i do um it definitely depends on the client i'm very much um very passionate about a personalized program so sometimes you see people who will just say yes each week we'll do this thing and that's great um but i think it's very important to personalize it um to the specific person so some people yes we do um we do more hypnotherapy a lot of people i find benefit a lot from timeline therapy um Help me, help me understand timeline Which, therapy, would you? Yeah, so timeline therapy involves um, getting into a, a very, very relaxed state, literally um, picturing your personal timeline in your mind, traveling either, depending on what you're trying to do, back or forward on your timeline, Um and seeing where on your timeline you learned a certain thing. So let's say you um, learned that or you believe that you um, can't, don't deserve to be loved. Let's just take that one. Um, so asking your subconscious, when did I decide that? And letting your subconscious tell you. I, I decided that when I was three years old and going back and saying, okay, what does that look like? Where, where was that memory in my time frame? And then allowing your subconscious to, um, to acknowledge what can be learned from that event and let go of the rest because the emotions are, we can hold on to the emotions all we want but they're not really healthy. Um, it's not healthy to cling to all the trauma and emotions. What we can do is let those go. Take what's good to learn. What's positive to learn from this event and move forward. Is that how neural linguistic programming comes into play also? Yeah, neurolinguistic programming has a lot of different techniques involved. Um, there's um, there's so many different ways. Um, I love, I'm really passionate about it because it really focuses on how our minds process the world um, and all of those things that we learned very young that we now use to just run like a, like a computer runs. We just use it to run, uh, run the world, run our little internal world, regardless of how much sense it makes. Does it really make sense to constantly look at yourself in the mirror and think, God, I'm really fat or constantly um, look at your partner and think, man, they're just never going to love me. Like, does that really serve you? No. Are you consciously always thinking it? Probably not. But subconsciously, that program is always running. 
constantly. It's like a little virus. <laughs> it's just going, 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 going. Um, and when we start to look at what our subconscious is doing, how it's operating, then we can decide, do I really want to keep this thought? Is it really serving me? And if it's not, you really have the power to change it. You don't have to keep that story. You don't have to keep telling yourself, oh, nobody will ever love me. It takes work to change it, but you can change it. We, have, we all have a choice. And, and sometimes we have to learn how yes. to make that choice. Because sometimes yes. we forget. Or, or we're, we're oh. trained not to listen to that choice, the opportunity for choice. We have free will, and you kind of help people come through all that. Um, all these tools encompass together. Can they help people like uh, heal and move forward in their life and uh, get over, for example, grief? Because you, can you help people get not just the codependency or the anxiety aspects of it? Can you help people get through grief and through trauma? That's a powerful question. Um, I think what really inspires me is my my own journey, um, seeing where I have been and what's possible and looking at other people and knowing that they also have the potential to do so much um, to really do anything that they want to. What steps should someone take if they're going through the same journey you went through? Um, steps that someone should take, I would definitely recommend starting a meditation practice. Um, start journaling. Um, those are huge, huge, helpful pieces. Um, get into communities, um, either Facebook groups or um, support groups near you. If you can work with somebody, either therapy or coaches, one-on-one um, -on -one help is um, one of the best ways to really, um, really get propelled forward. But there are so many avenues that you can start pursuing um, so that you can start your journey. You mentioned journaling. Can you help us understand what that journaling is? Do they write down everything? Do, how does that work? Yeah, there are a lot of ways that you can uh, journal. It's definitely up to you. Um, but one of my favorite ways to journal is based off of Julia Cameron's morning pages, um, where you wake up first thing in the morning, um, before you even get out of bed and write three pages, um, just stream of consciousness, whatever comes to mind. That really helps you stay um, sort of tapped into your unconscious mind. Um, and you'd be really surprised what thoughts and feelings come, come up that you may not have even been aware were going on. I think, I, I think especially in the morning, because that's, that's before you even have a time to think about it and go, oh, well, maybe I don't want to write this kind of a situation. Mm -hmm.
How does somebody get in touch with you? You have a website? Yes. So you can go to my website, um, which is queenofgrit.com. You can follow me on Instagram, same handle, queenofgrit. Um, I'd love to connect with you. Um, you can always feel free to book a one-on-one call or join me for um, expression exercises. Those are free group exercises every Friday that we do to help you guys move through emotional blocks. So feel free to sign up for those. I hope to connect with some of you guys um, and talk to y'all. That'd be fantastic. This is one more thing before you go. Do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to share? Take care. Take time. Before you know it, the sun will shine. Those are excellent words of wisdom. Dylan, see if I can say this right. D-Money Gang, thank you very much for sharing your journey with me and with my, my listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the insight. Thank you for sharing your grandparents' journey with us. And and I, I really appreciate what you do for the world. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.